0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naaman. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, and Father, we pray that you would be pleased to teach us from your word, that, Father, you would open your word to our minds and our hearts, giving us understanding, but more so than understanding, you would... Also, Father, reveal the implications of the truth that you have given us uh, for our lives, uh, that, Father, we would gain insights into reality, we'd gain insights into uh, this world and what is taking place in it, and that, Father, the whole exercise may be uh, fruitful for our walk with you, that the whole exercise may be fruitful for our edification. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, we returned to our study in Genesis. And as I said last week, and I really didn't need to say it, uh, we returned to a really dark passage uh, last week. And uh, it it really was quite a contrast from the passage that we looked at on on Easter Sunday, uh, namely the passage in John 20, where Jesus reveals himself so magnificently to Mary Magdalene. I'm trying to think of how we could make a greater contrast than to go from John 20 to Genesis 4. Uh, But um, uh, Genesis 4 is really largely a chapter about refusing God's grace as we saw last week, isn't it? Uh, Refusing God's grace. We saw that Cain refused God's pleading uh, each step of the way. Uh, We looked at that verse by verse and instead of softening his heart, uh cain's heart continually hardened with each successive advancement of god's mercy and i've probably only said about five sentences in this message so far i, I lost count, but I think it was about five uh, we can make application already um, it's it's not a small matter to uh, refuse god 's grace is it um it's not a small matter to refuse the gospel of grace. I think that a lot of times we think to ourselves, you know, I'm not today, maybe tomorrow. I'm not going to repent today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm not going to get real committed today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. But you know what the old preachers used to say all the time? You can't repent whenever you please. And there's so much truth in that statement. You cannot repent whenever you please. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. We have to take these things when they're being offered. So it's not a small thing to pass on God's grace. Because... That's when faith is being offered. That's when when repentance is being offered. May the Lord put a fear of this into my heart, into your heart, and and into the hearts of our neighbors, so that today if we hear his voice, we will not harden our hearts. Amen. Now, this morning we pick up where we left off, and let me announce right here at the start, let me announce the point that I want to make this morning, because there might be times where you might be thinking, is there a point to all of this? And because um, I plan on just going verse by verse really uh, this morning, and I think it would do well for me to just announce what my point is, so that you have some some uh, shelves to place these things on as we go along. Uh, what I want to do this morning is go through our passage verse by verse and call attention to the insights that we gain as we follow Cain down this really dark road uh, that he is that he has taken. Uh, because we're going to follow Cain for a short period of time, and then we're going to start following Cain's children. Um, and what I want to do is look at, is look at this and and try to gain some insights. And these insights are going to be invaluable to us for for a number of reasons. One, uh, they they'll motivate us to repent. Uh, if we choose to, to skip verses like this all the time, there's no motivation to repent. And besides that, what are we repenting from if we're always skipping this stuff? Repent from. And that's why if you ask somebody in our culture today, you know, do you need a savior? They're going to look at you and they're going to say, savior, save from what? Because these verses have been skipped for so long. Um, So one, they'll motivate us to repent, but they're also valuable to us. Because they will alert us to the danger of this dark road. They alert us to the danger of this dark road. And this will safeguard us from temptation to return to the dark road. We need that because the temptation to return to this is always there, isn't it? It's always there. And there's a third reason that this is really valuable. And this is a really, I like saving the best one for last, you know. The third reason is, as we look at this really dark road and we begin to realize that this is where God found us, is on this dark road, then we're really going to begin to praise him afresh in new ways for the fact that he's delivered us from this. You know, I I, I mean, um, sometimes when our hearts grow lukewarm or we start to kind of grow kind of dull, it's because we forgot what God has done for us. Um, these passages remind us again of what God has done for us so with all that having been said let's begin let's look at verse sixteen we'll just we 'll just go right down the verses Our text begins with then can then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and this of course recalls verses twelve and fourteen which we looked at last week if you look at verse twelve with me uh, there the Lord curses Cain uh, it, it, it really makes you tremble as You you think of that. We read the words, you know, the Lord speaking to Cain, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain, he responds in verse 14, he says, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. And here Cain is offering his complaint. There's no remorse, as I pointed out last week. There's no remorse Uh, He is simply complaining about the consequences that that the curse has brought him to, that his actions have brought him to. He says, you have driven me away from the ground and your face shall be hidden. Now, we think about that phrase, your face shall be hidden. How is God's face hidden from Cain? Well, one aspect of being hidden uh, from the Lord's face is is manifested in the fact that the ground is now going to refuse to... Uh, to put forth the vegetation that it once did at his hands. Uh, his work now from this point on is going to become very frustrating. Um, our work already is frustrating because of the curse. Adam and Eve are not cursed. The ground is cursed because of Adam and Eve. And one of, one of the meanings of that is work can become frustrating. Frustrating. I don't need to remind anybody here of that fact, do I? Do you want me to spend 20 minutes on that one? (laughs) I mean, I don't think we need to do that, do we? Um, I don't think we need to do that. And as I've said in earlier studies, we were farmers. We would have a renewed sense of dependence on God, wouldn't we? Because at the end of the day, all you can do is prepare the soil, put your seeds in the soil, water the soil. After that, what do you do? You got to wait on the, you got to wait you have to wait on favor and you have to pray for favorable weather conditions. Uh, we have lost a lot of that because I think we have the illusion that our work is no less dependent on God. It's an illusion. I mean, we we don't raise crops. We get in our cars and we go to some office somewhere or some garage somewhere or some whatever somewhere factory. And uh, it all seems like everything's in our hands, doesn't it? Yeah, Right. Um, it 's not any more in our hands than it was if we were putting seeds in the ground and watching the weather it 's still in god 's hands um, so um, verse 16 tells us that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and this is very uh, it 's very sad Cain has a one way ticket here to eternal destruction it 's a one way ticket um, Furthermore, verse 16 tells us that Cain settled in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. Uh, There, uh, the area in which Cain wandered off to, um, namely Nod. I mean, that that word Nod means wandering. Some of you have footnotes to that effect in your Bible. And it's appropriately named because Cain is cursed to be a wanderer. Uh, So the name of the area that he wanders off to is named Wandering. Uh, James Boyce writes, quote, the point obviously is that Cain remained a wanderer at heart even when he attempted to settle down. Having rejected God, he had severed his roots and was condemned to restlessness. And there's two words that are in there that, uh, you know, I talked about the shelves to put things on, insights from this dark road. Here are two of them, rootlessness, rootlessness. And restlessness, rootlessness and restlessness. Cain is now rootless and he is restless. And this really should sound familiar. I mean, we dwell in an age that has long since severed its biblical connections. I mean, long since done that. And if if we do that, what are we left with, by the way? We're only left with what we can see, feel, taste and touch, aren't we? We're only left with the here and the now because there is no, there is now no tomorrow, uh, not beyond the three score and ten. There's no tomorrow. So there's only the here and now, what we can see, feel, and touch. But many folks in our culture are quite content with this, actually, uh, are quite content. I mean years ago, and it might even still be popular in some circles, um, evangelism was attempted. I'm going to say attempted. It was attempted by pointing to people the meaninglessness of materialism. In other words, uh, uh, folks would come up to another person and say, well, isn't your life kind of empty without God? Um, that was really popular to do a number of years ago. And i got to tell you, I mean, um, I could envision that going on now. I I mean I I <laughs> if you went up to a number of folks and said isn't your life empty without God? I could almost hear their answer. They'd be like no, not really. Uh, not really. I mean um and you know, I mean we got a boat in the driveway, we got you know, we got oh, we got we got our careers going, we got our homes, we got you know, we got our our motorcycles. And we got, I mean, the list goes on. We get a golf game in whenever we can. I mean, I think the biggest problem is we need more leisure time to enjoy that stuff. That's, you know, I'm not throwing any stones. Uh, That's where I would be if it weren't for the grace of God. I'd be exactly there. I'm not throwing stones at anyone. Uh, I'm only showing that this is, this is one of the, one of the applications of God's face being hidden from somebody. And I would say it's probably the leading application in our culture. God's face is hidden from these individuals. I'm not throwing stones at them. I could probably weep for them. I I don't want to throw any rocks at them. God's face is hidden from them. That's sad. Um, What's hidden is the rootlessness of it all. Paul tells the Athenians that in Acts chapter 17 that God, quote, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place in verse 27, that they should seek God. That they should seek God in the home that they might feel their way toward him and find him. But we have to be awakened to this. We're not going to seek for God until we, we, we've been awakened. We have to be awakened from the complete blindnessness of unbelief. That's what we have to be awakened from. Uh, God's face has to shine on us. It has to shine on us. Otherwise, we're going to go through this life and, and think about it. I mean, if there is no more tomorrow, if we've gotten rid of tomorrow, there is nothing beyond the grave. All that there is is this. Well, then, hey, this makes perfect sense. Let's get the boat. Next nice day, let's, let's get out there on the river or wherever it is you want to go. And, and let's just make the best of it as we can. And please don't, get, don't misunderstand me. You all know me well enough to know there's nothing wrong with getting a boat and going out on the lake. I mean, there's, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But God's face needs to shine on us. And as he does this, it's, 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 it's a painful thing. I mean, it's, it's a painful thing to wake up one morning and discover that everything that you've invested your heart and life into is meaningless. That is a really painful, painful thing. But it's a blessing if it leads us to faith and repentance, isn't it? It's a blessing. If it leads to faith and repentance, no matter how painful it might be at the start. Now, back to our text in verse 17, Cain, uh, we read these words, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Calvin points out that Cain must have already been married prior to murdering his brother. Uh, Why? Because, well, who who in his family would want to follow a murderer who is cursed of God? Uh, they must have already been married. That, that's a little bit beside the point. The point here is the line. Moses, who's the author of Genesis, is taking us through Cain's line, his descendants. Uh, we find this in verse 18 with these names that are a little hard to pronounce. Uh, verse 18, to Enoch was born Ired, and Ired fathered Mehujael. Get that one out three times in a row, real fast. And Mehujael fathered Mehushel it easy to mix those two up, wouldn't it? And Methusiel fathered Lamech. I can tell you right now that these names will send your spell check into a frenzy. I type these names into my notes right here, and it was just these little red squiggly things from start to finish. <laughs> these kids had to be bright kids in order to, to pronounce and spell their names. But I, uh, I have to say, all kidding and joking aside, I think it would have been really interesting to hear the languages that they were speaking, you know. We get a little gist of it here um, from the names, but it would have been something to have heard the languages. Um, but at any rate, verses 19 to 23 center on Lamech. That's what Moses is taking us to. He's taking us from really from Cain uh, to Lamech. In verse 19, we're told that Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other one was Zillah. Uh, The first thing we note here is the fact that one wife is not enough for Lamech. Lamech takes two, and he goes down in history as the first bigamist, which is a wonderful credential to have, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) I think we learn a lot about the moral condition here from the names of these women. The first is Ada. Her name means ornament, actually. Um, It could also be translated pleasure or beauty. And Zillah's name means shade. Boyce points out that possibly the shade was from her long, beautiful hair, which offered shade. That's conjecture on Boyce's part. But if you skip down to verse 22, at the end of verse 22, you see the the name of one of Lamech's daughters, uh, uh, Naamah, which her name actually means loveliness. Uh, One commentator writes, quote, Here was a culture committed to physical pleasure, beauty, and charm, And not to those inner qualities that Peter describes as being the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I'll read that again. One commentator writes, here was a culture committed to physical pleasure, beauty and charm. There's enough read there. Um, I think it's safe to say that Cain's culture obsessed over external beauty. I think that's safe to say. It's a culture where men and women chose each other for their looks and not their their moral compass. Uh, Men chose women for their looks, not their moral uh, attributes, and vice versa. Um, And again, this sounds hauntingly familiar. I mean, we're we're obsessed with how we look on the outside. Think about all the money and time and labor that's spent on looking good on the outside. Whereas, in contrast, the inside, we uh, don't don't really spend a lot of attention caring for that instead we do as much as we can to try to hide that don't we Um, we like to be noticed but we do not want to be known too well Um, this all sounds hauntingly familiar it's dark news it'll get a little darker but remember what i've been saying over and over again in scriptures whenever we come across a dark passage grace is always nearby It's wonderful. Grace is nearby. If you look at verse 20, uh, there we see Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zil also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now, let's take that apart for a minute. Our text tells us about three sons, uh, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, Right? Three sons. Our text reveals that Jabal was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Uh, Jubal was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Tubal Cain was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Okay, what is is Moses communicating to us here? He is showing us three exceptional men who excelled in a certain area of giftedness. Uh, One was the father of all herdsmen. Uh, The other one was a father of all musicians. Uh, Another was a father of all craftsmen. Uh, What's the the point here? Well, here are three men who greatly excelled in their vocations. Where did these gifts come from? They come from God. They come from the very God that these three men are rejecting. And this is one of the many passages of Scripture that reveal uh, the doctrine of God's common grace. Uh, Jesus uh, very famously taught, taught it this way. He says, the father is in heaven, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Uh, There we see the grace of God, you know, He's, he's blessing these three men with these wonderful gifts and these gifts wouldn't have just been a blessing for these three men these would have these gifts would have been a blessing for this entire community which basically has shut god out um, nevertheless you see the mercifulness and the graciousness of god's heart i mean I think about herdsmen you know the the, the food that would have been uh, gained from having a remarkable herdsman in the community in uh, the music i mean sometimes you'll hear people make reference to Um, Jubal, you know, he's the father of all musicians and the the, the application will be like, you know, here's a godless man. He's the father of all musicians and therefore uh, musicianship is godless and not to be entertained. Has anybody ever heard that? Don't entertain that for a minute, please. I mean, I'm going to defend. I'm a musician and I have lots of friends who are musicians and I'm staring at quite a few of them. Um, Music is is wonderful, isn't it? That's a wrong interpretation of this. I mean, if we're going to say that, then we need to say herdsmen or we need to say the same thing about herdsmen and the same thing about craftsmen. I mean, why would we pick one out and not pick the other two? Why would we single one out? I mean, I think maybe somebody that doesn't like music might do that. I don't know, but that makes no sense. What makes sense is this is God's common grace. He's blessing people that are railing against him. That's the point that we're to see here. Uh, and uh, really, uh, this, this grace that, that these men receive really is meant to lead them to repentance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You remember our study in Romans, Romans 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness. But, um, of course, that isn't what's happening. Um, we don't have a tendency to offer... God thankfulness for our, our giftedness. We have a tendency to take full credit for ourselves, don't we? I mean, you can watch that everywhere, uh, namely at the, in the sports arena. Um, but uh, we like to offer it to the Trinitarian God with a lowercase g of uh, me, myself, and I. <laughs> That's where we like to offer the, the thanksgiving and the praise. And this really leads us to the climax of this passage. I might say the climax of the passage darkness, verses 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold. What do we see in these passages? We see gross pride, arrogance, lawlessness. We see here uh, that, that uh, Lamech has been wounded by a young man. Let's not forget that this young man has to be a close relative to Lamech. He has to be. We're not that far removed from Adam and Eve here. Uh, he has to be uh, a relative um, He has wounded Lamech. Lamech has in turn judged that he should die and he has killed him. Uh, Here, Lamech has risen to usurp the very throne of God, hasn't he? Uh, Notice his further boast in verse 24. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77fold. What's going on there? Well, Lamech is saying that the Lord offered protection to grandfather Cain. He's not going to need to offer me any protection because I am going to protect myself. You see that arrogant boast that's taking place there. Again, I'll say it. it's temptation it's tempting too many to skip some of these passages, but we need these passages. So God's given us these passages for our welfare and our growth and grace for sure. Um, I can say that just in meditating upon these passages, I had a wonderful experience. I can't say it was a wonderful experience. It's wonderful in some respects. But I had an experience this week where my work called me to be in the presence of some individuals uh, who are currently enjoying some level of worldly success in a quite worldly way. And, um, you know, it was just kind of... My mind's been on Genesis 4 all week. You know, some of... Some of you can understand that. I mean, next week, my mind's going to be on Genesis 25 through 26 all week. And I think sometimes when your mind's on those things all the time, uh, you have a tendency to see things through the lenses uh, of these verses. And I was watching what was taking place. I mean, I was watching their I was I was watching their their attitudes. I was watching their their mannerisms. I watched their show of pride. I watched their boasts. I watched their seduction. There were other people around. I watched how they kind of clamored over them or were kind of clamoring around them. And I don't know their hearts, but I kind of got a sneaking suspicion that they seemed to enjoy that clamoring uh, like this. All I could think about was this passage, Genesis 4. All I could think about was this passage. The, the seduction that these folks have towards the heart is a very strong pull that 's what I was seeing with the clamoring that they, 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 they're magnetic they they draw people um, Genesis four helps us to see what is really going on among those who reject God and it teaches us not to envy them uh, it teaches us not to follow them and um, if I could ask you to turn to Psalm 73, I'll be able to flesh out what I've just said in a much more concrete way. I could give you names uh, of the people that I was in company with, but that would be really unfair. But Psalm 73 will um, will flesh this out quite nicely. Psalm 73. There the psalmist in verse 1 You know, he's recounting if you look at verse one there, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse two, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Look at verse three. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Temptation, to clamor. That's the clamoring that I saw going on. Verse 4 For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Here, we have worldly success. We have beauty. We have wealth. Style. Oh, this has a tremendous pull on us, doesn't it? It has a tremendous pull on us. Look down to verse 12. You know, they're they're always at ease. They increase in riches. You know, let, let me qualify all this I because I you can be misunderstood here. I, we can go through that door after this and after this message and think, well, you know, success is bad. You know, beauty is bad. Uh, uh, wealth is bad. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Success in itself is not a bad thing. Um, if we said success is a bad thing, then we may have to... Be forced to say, then failure is a good thing. If you don't have success, what do you have? If success is bad, then failure is good. I don't think any of us want to go there, do we? What is was Like, get us all charged up. Now, let's go out and be a good failure this week, and next week we'll get together and do it again. What do you think? Something sounds wrong with that. I don't think I like that idea. Um, wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, if we said wealth is a bad thing, then we'd be saying poverty is a good thing. Some people actually say poverty is a good thing. There are some instances and some contexts where we might say that. But wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. Beauty in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, you see the point that I'm making here? Um, now, I could go further with this. I could say that Joseph and Daniel were men of God. They were very successful in their calling, weren't they? And that was a blessing. Joseph and Daniel, two biblical examples of men that were successful in their calling. We could talk about wealth. Abraham and Job, for example, very wealthy men. Um, They were wealthy men. Uh, Jesus certainly warns us of the dangers of wealth um, in this lifetime. Most of us aren't going to have to worry about it. (laughs) I think one of the reasons why we all don't have it is very few of us can handle it. Um, Very few of us can, can handle it. But let me go one step further and say this. In the new heavens and the new earth, all the people of God will be exceptionally wealthy. And in fact, if you're in Christ this morning, you already are exceptionally wealthy. You're just wealthy in a way that the world doesn't, it's currency that the world doesn't value. That's all. Uh, Think of Ephesians chapter one, that long opening that, that the apostle Paul, you know, Paul says, if we are in Christ Jesus, then we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we are, I mean, we're, we're, royal. if you're in Christ Jesus, your, your father is the, is the king of the universe, but you are exceptionally wealthy. And I don't believe for a moment that, you know, we'll have nothing other than beautiful resurrection bodies in the resurrection. What are you going to look like in the resurrection? Stunningly beautiful, stunningly beautiful. But you're not going to be caught up in your own beauty because you're going to be so thankful that the other person is beautiful. It's going to be a selfless beauty. It's not going to be a look at me. You know, everybody fall down and look at me. It's not going to be that kind of thing at all. It's hard for us to get our minds around, but that's what awaits. So the problem isn't with, really with... um, beauty, wealth, and success. The problem isn't with that. Uh, here lies the problem. It's when our, our heart begins to entertain even the smallest sin of uh, verse 13. If you look at Psalm 73 and verse 13, you know, the psalmist is looking at success, wealth, beauty, uh, namely the success, wealth, and beauty of those who reject God. And the psalmist reasons here in verse 13, all in vain if I kept my heart clean and washed my hands and innocence. What's happening to the psalmist? He's clamoring. He's like one of the folks I saw earlier this week, clamoring. He's clamoring. His feet are nearly, as he says in the beginning, my feet had almost slipped. Um, we, We wouldn't choose the words of verse 13, but we recognize the slip of the heart here, don't we? I don't think we would use the same words as the psalmist, but we recognize the slip, don't we? We recognize the seduction. Why? Because we know it all too well. We're gonna leave, it's, it's really easy to be committed right now. We're going to go through those doors in a little bit, and today's probably going to be fairly, maybe fairly easy to stay committed, but what about tomorrow? We'll, we'll, will we be tempted to clamor tomorrow? Maybe. It's why we need these verses, isn't it? We might be tempted to clamor tomorrow. Um, But let us say this, studying these dark passages will, will really help us to resist the temptation that this seductive road has for us. This road is seductive. This is this road is really dangerous. It has a really strong pull on our hearts, doesn't it? Let's just fess up to it. I mean, it does. And a healthy fear of this road will turn us away from it. And we'll praise God for delivering us out of it. You know, there's a thought, one final thought, and I'll close. And I've already mentioned it a couple of times, but it is on this dark road that we're each found by the Lord. When we're born, where are we born? We're born on this dark road, aren't we? And without God's grace intervening, we're, we're content to be on that, on that dark road. That's, we're, we're fine with it. We're fine with it. We'll make the best of the dark road as we can. Our complaints are not going to be that, that, you know, that we don't have enough of God. That's never going to be our complaints. Our complaints are going to be all kinds of other things, but it isn't going to be that. It's on this dark road where God finds us. And we see that the Lord really is truly a seeker of souls. He's a deliverer of souls. And Zephaniah 3.9, which this is why I chose that as a scripture memory verse. I'll read it to you. Your Bibles have long since closed on Zephaniah, but it reads this way. God speaking of a future blessing. He says at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. When the Lord opened up your heart to receive Jesus, he was making good on that promise. In Zephaniah 3 and verse 9. He was making good and he changed your speech, didn't he? Maybe the Lord was used as a curse word prior to that day. Now he's the object of your praise. Praise. In fact, the words Jesus is Lord is pure speech. And it can only be, Paul tells us that we can only say Jesus is Lord by the work of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Our soul-seeking and soul-loving God came in the person of Jesus. He won our hearts with his love, compassion, and ministry and his willingness to die in our place, be raised on the third day. And he sends the Holy Spirit to us to change our speech so that we might, instead of calling on all kinds of other things, we might call on the name of the Lord, which will be a a significant part of our study next time. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Father, for the insights that we gather from this, this dark road, Father, we recognize that it's a road that we have all traveled, at least for some, some point in our, in our lives. Uh, some of us have traveled it well into adulthood. Some of us maybe only traveled it very briefly as children. Perhaps some of us uh, perhaps only traveled it uh, in, uh, during a, a, a span of time that is no longer uh, able to be recalled, Father. But we do know that we were all born on this road And we know, Father, that you have delivered us. And Father, for that, we're grateful. Lord, we pray that you will teach us the dangers of this road, that, Father, you would uh, work in our hearts, that we would completely, completely resent the things of that road, Father, that we would stay uh, quite clear from that road. And Father, uh, help us to be wise, uh, to use uh, the insights from this road to helpfully help people help people to turn from traveling this road that they might come upon a new road a road uh, the the way the truth and the life that they may come to you uh, through Jesus Christ we pray these things in Jesus precious name amen Amen. and amen. amen